But because it's Easter, the Easter message that I want to share with you is a little complicated and a little difficult. And it is hard to believe. But as I said, as we began here this morning, really we're not just celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But because He rose from the dead, we're celebrating your resurrection too. Each one of you. Now you might think that's strange. And religious folks might think it's almost sacrilegious to say that we're celebrating on Easter your resurrection as well as Jesus. But so I'll show you here in a little bit. That's why He rose from the dead. So that you could rise from the dead. There's two passages of Scripture that would take me weeks of study to explain to you fully, so I'm not going to try to try that. We don't have that much time before the ham's done. But I'm going to read both of them to you, and then we'll focus on the second one. It's not the resurrection story. I trust that all of you are familiar with that. Each one of the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John, each one of them records the resurrection of Jesus. And they give us some very interesting details about that. But I'm not going to read the resurrection story to you, the resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to assume that you have at least a basic understanding of that. And I'm going to read to you another passage out of Ephesians chapter 2 concerning your resurrection. As I read this, I want you to try to apply it to yourself. As I said, it's going to be a little difficult. This second passage is even going to be worse, but I want you to try to stay with me. I'll try to explain it as we go. Ephesians chapter 2. After Paul talks about, in the first chapter, specifically talks about Jesus being raised up from the dead, he goes on in chapter 2 to say this, And you, King James says, hath he quickened, which is an old English term for you, has he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in times past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation or lifestyle in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, but God. I love that little phrase there, but God. Now, I don't know if you realize what he just told you there, but he told you you were all born selfish and self-centered, totally dysfunctional, 
and you miss the mark totally on God's ideal for a human being. That's a more polite way to say it, perhaps. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, have made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And not only that, he goes on to say, and has raised us up together. Raised us up together with Christ. And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's your resurrection. God did it. He didn't say that He might do it. He didn't say He could do it if you behave yourself. He said He did it. Amen. It's a done deal. Now why is that so hard to believe? Well, He says right here, we are seated in the heavenlies in Christ. Right now. People often worry about whether they're going to heaven when they die or not. I wonder if I'm going to make it. And when you get tired of worrying about yourself, you start judging other people to decide whether they're going to make it. What's funny to me is people worry about when they're going to heaven, if they're going to heaven or not, when as far as God is concerned, you're already seated in the heavenlies. You're already there. Now, I know that's hard for us to understand. I told you it was going to be a little difficult. This Easter message. Because it has to do with you. And your resurrection. In Christ Jesus. So point blankly. Paul writes to the Ephesian church that you have been quickened, you have been made alive together with Christ and raised up with Him in the heavenlies. You are actually seated in the heavenlies. But here's our problem. And all of us have got this problem. Okay, so don't feel you know, bad if you don't understand what I'm telling you here. But here's our problem friend of mine has gone on to heaven now. His name is Mickey Evans. He nailed the problem on the head. He said, here's the problem. We've got head and butt disease. <laughs> we do. Head and butt disease means that your butt is one place, but your head is somewhere else. It's kind of like when you're daydreaming. Well, here's the original head and butt disease. You are seated in the heavenlies. 
So where's your butt? In the heavenlies. But where's your head? Down here. Trying to scramble around and survive this life. He didn't leave us there though. Let me read completion of this passage. He said he did all this that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto a good life that He's ordained for us to walk in. Now, in order to understand a little more clearly what this resurrection is about, I want you to look at another passage with me here. Perhaps my favorite passage. Again, it doesn't have anything to do with the resurrection story recorded for us that we're all familiar with. But it has everything to do with the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of you. Romans chapter 6. Paul starts this off with a series of three rhetorical questions. A rhetorical question is meant to get us thinking. Okay? And after talking about this grace that God has extended to the whole world to save us who were dead in sins and trespasses, and elaborating on that in chapter 5 and chapter 6, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said earlier that basically you can't out-sin God's grace. You can't do it. Because where sin abounds, God's grace superabounds. So with that in mind, does that mean, okay, if God's not going to hold it against me, then I can just go out and do whatever I want to. I can sin all the more. Of course not. That's what he answers in verse 2. God forbid. May it never be. No. That's not the point of the revelation of grace. is so that you can go live a licentious lifestyle and make yourself feel good in any way you care to. No, that's not the point. He says, but listen to this next question. This next question is amazing. He says, how shall we? Now when he says we, you realize he's talking about all of us, right? How shall we? Not just Paul and the mouse in his pocket, but the people he's writing to and us now. How shall we, he's talking about us right now, how shall we that are dead to sin, 
in Ephesians, you were dead in sins and trespasses, remember? But now he's saying, how shall we that are dead to sin continue to live any longer therein? What's he talking about? Dead to sin. This is where it gets real sticky. See, what he means by dead to sin is that you don't sin. You know that? Isn't that amazing? All this time, Sunday after Sunday, preachers, sermon after sermon, telling you what terrible sinners you are and how if you follow their program and do what they tell you, especially if you tithe, then you'll be okay. And yet he comes right here and says, we're dead to sin. Now obviously, he must know something I don't know. Right? To make a statement like that. Because if I'm dead to sin, who was it that sinned last night? And if I'm dead to sin, who's planning to sin later? What do you mean, dead to sin? So the third question brings it on home to us. He says, don't you know? Christian, don't you know? No, you not. Are you completely ignorant of it? You don't know? That so many of us as we're baptized into Christ Jesus, we're baptized into His death. I told you it was going to get rough. Not only is He telling you now you're dead to sin, but He's telling you now you died. Anybody here remember dying? Hmm? Of course not. You don't remember dying. And this is where our faith comes in. Because we're either going to have to believe our own experience or we're going to believe the Word of God. What God says about ourselves. One or the other. Don't you know that so many of us were baptized? Now don't worry about that word baptism. Or baptized. It was a Greek term that was used in Paul's day in the garment industry when they made their money by dyeing certain garments different colors. Purple was the main thing because those were the high class people, rich folks, they got to wear purple. And when they dyed that garment, they would take the garment and they would dip it in the dye. And when they brought it out, lo and behold, it changed colors. Pretty straightforward, right? The word baptizo, Greek word, means to dip, plunge, or immerse. And so you were dipped, plunged, and immersed into Christ. Now who did that? God did that. He put you into Christ. He joined you inseparably to Him. Just like that dye is joined inseparably to the garment. So many of us as we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized, joined to His death. But it doesn't stop there. What else happened to you? 
Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead, even so also we should walk in newness of life. We've got a new life. For if we've been planted together, old English word, joined together, buried, in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. There it is again. You're raised. You experience resurrection. How do we do that? We'll get to it in a moment. Knowing this, that our old man, and when he says old man there, he's not talking about your daddy. He ain't talking about your husband, ladies. The old man is the person that you were born into this world as, naturally. That person that was dead in sins and trespasses, that person that was dysfunctional and self-centered, that person you naturally were is the old man or the old person. And that person was put to death by God in Christ. And so he says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him. See, when Jesus died on the cross, you died with Him. That old person you were. You died with Him. And when He was buried, you were buried with Him. Why did God do that? Our old man is crucified with Him that the body of sin might be destroyed that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. That's why you don't sin. Now, try to follow me here. I know this is difficult. For some people, they might consider this to be, oh man, that's the meat of the Word. No, it's not. This is milk. So you can take it. Even little babies can take the milk. This is milk. It's what God has done for you, you couldn't do for yourself. What has He done? He's taken that old, dysfunctional, sinful person you were born into this world as. Did you know that's why God makes you cute when you're young? Hmm? Yeah. He makes you cute so they don't kill you before you're five. Why? Because you're so self-centered. That's why. That little baby, he doesn't care if mama's had any sleep or not. He wants what he wants when he wants it. Right? So God has to make us cute so we can live and grow into maturity. That person you were, that old person, there's nothing... Even they're cute on the outside, there's nothing pretty on the inside about that person you were. And so God crucified that person. It was not acceptable to Him. It couldn't be. See, what God's standard for humanity is, what He wants every human being to be, 
It's just like His Son, Jesus. That's His standard here. And try as hard as we may, we're not going to make it up to that standard on our own. We can't do it. So God had to kill that old person that failed to meet His standard, but He didn't leave you dead. He raised you up from the dead. So when Christ died on the cross, you died with Him. And when He was buried, that old person you were was buried. And when He rose again from the dead, you also rose together with Him. That's a little difficult to believe, isn't it? Be honest with yourselves. Isn't that hard to believe? Hard to believe that you were crucified with Christ? Buried with Him? And a brand new person raised up? And that new person who was raised up is just like Jesus. That is the real person you are. You're not the same old person you've always thought you were. Mm -mm. That old person you've always thought you were, that ain't acceptable to God. Mm -mm. And so God crucified that person. And He raised you up as a brand new person. Now this might be a novel idea to some of you. But the reality of it is clear in the Scriptures. Paul mentions it everywhere in his writings. It was prefigured in the Old Testament Scriptures that you were going to be raised up together with Christ. Now, what do we do about that? A lot of people ask me that. Okay, I'm this brand new person. Now what? He says, he goes on to say, now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dies no more. Death has no more dominion over Him. For in that He died, He died once unto sin. But in that He lives, He lives eternally unto God. It's real important that you put yourself in this picture. That you see what God has done in Christ for you. He has crucified that old sinful person you were, buried him, and raised up a brand new person. And that brand new person is just like Jesus. Now, it's important that you understand that He didn't change your personality. No, you still have your personality. But you are Christ as you. That's what God has raised up. It was a long time in my life before I came to realize this. Because I was raised up in a traditional legalistic kind of background. They didn't even consider what God had done for me 
It was all about what I'm going to do for God to get Him to bless me. See, that's religion. Religion is all about doing things, rituals, etc., to make the gods happy so they'll bless you. What the Scripture is all about is you understanding what God has done for you you couldn't do for yourself. Who He's made you to be. Now, if you're just like Christ, and by the way, Jesus told His disciples on the night before He was crucified, He said, at that day, and I'm hoping that that day is referring to this day right now for you. At that day, you shall know that I am in the Father. What does that mean? Jesus is in the Father, meaning Jesus is one with the Father, meaning Jesus and the Father are one. Right? We all know that. That's the basis of Christianity. He's God. But He didn't stop there. No, He said that you might know that I am in the Father and that you are in Me. Who is in the Father. Now think about that for a minute. Whatever He meant by Him saying that I am in the Father, He means when He says, you are in Me. We have become one. He didn't stop there. He went one step further. He said, and I am in you. So here's the Father. Big circle. Here's Jesus. Smaller circle. Here's you. And then a little circle. Jesus in you. That's called our union with Christ. And because of that, when Christ died on the cross, you died. The old person you were. And when He rose again from the dead, a new person created in Christ Jesus was raised up with Him. Now again, what does that mean to us practically? What are the personal benefits of this? When you realize this, and by the way, you can't make it happen. You can only choose to believe it's true, want to believe it's true, or reject it as being nonsense. But when you believe it, when you believe what's true about you being raised up with Christ, when you believe that you are one with Jesus, then the same thing is true about you is true about Jesus. So let's just run down through some personal benefits here real quick. Was Jesus loved by God? Even when He suffered terribly? Sure He was. Then so were you. Was He accepted by God? Certainly. Then so were you. Was He important in God's plan? Oh, you bet. And so were you. Did His life have meaning and purpose to it? Of course it did. Then so did yours. Why? Because you were one with Him. Now, in order to experience that, because all that we're 
talking about here, all that I've read to you, is not experiential for the most part. It's just straight from the Word of God. And we have, to, we have trouble trying to experience that. So let's talk just for a moment as we close. What has to happen in order to experience one thing and one thing only? You have to want to believe it's true. That's it. You want to believe it's true? God takes over. That new person He made you to be has His Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, living inside. And when you want to believe what's true about you, that Spirit of truth, the Comforter, begins to prove to you that you are in fact God's child. That's His job. His job in you is to testify to the fact that you, all of us, are the children of God. When you begin to experience this by faith, another little miracle happens inside. That faith, that little bitty tiny faith, exercised in wanting to believe what God says is true about you, produces in you hope by the power of that same Spirit. And what does that hope do? It allows you to keep on keeping on, for one thing. It gives you endurance, no matter what you have to face. Because you know you're alright. You're okay. And because of that hope, you now have the ability to care about other people. To actually love them like Christ. So why does He tell us this? That we are dead to sin and alive? Verse 11, as He closes that, chapter 6, He says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed in the sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, he doesn't use the word reckon because he's from Okeechobee. He uses the word reckon as an accounting term. He says you count on the fact, just like 2 plus 2 equals 4. That's a fact. And you count on the fact that you are dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. One more question we've got to answer before we quit. And that is, if I'm dead indeed unto sin, then who sins? See, God has done a miracle in your resurrection. A miraculous thing. He has separated you, the new person He made you to be, from all the leftover conditioning, habits, coping strategies of the flesh. The way you used to be. Even though that old man is crucified, that old person you were is crucified, it has leftovers that are still in this same body. That's why the completion of our redemption is we get a new body that matches the new person God has made us to be. But until then, there's this conflict. A conflict between the new person I am 
and has stinking flesh. You must be able to make that distinction in your own mind. You, being raised up in Christ, cannot sin. Your flesh, that old coping strategies, habitual way of thinking, all of that stuff, even though you were a brand new person, nothing happened to that flesh. Nothing happened to this body. You don't have any holes in your hands. Nothing happened to this body. And so that flesh is still there. And it continues with its own mind to do its own thing. Well, how are we going to get out of that mess? Paul had the same thing. Romans chapter 7, in the next chapter, he says, Look, when I want to do what's right, I can't do it. And when I want to quit doing what's wrong, I do it anyhow. Does that sound familiar? Sure, you've tried to do what's right and you haven't been able to do it. You tried to quit doing what's wrong and you still did it. That's a common plight. That doesn't mean you're no longer a new person. No. What that means is there's a war going on inside of you that you can't do anything about. As Paul put it in that graphic language at the end of Romans 7, he said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Who's going to set me free from this conflict? Then he answers it, I thank God through Jesus, by means of His Spirit living inside. So we need to celebrate our resurrection, not just on Easter. We need to celebrate it every day. And the way we do that is by believing that God has made us a brand new person, created in Christ Jesus. And by allowing His Spirit inside of us to tell us what to do to love other people. Tell us how to be, where to go what to do. And that way, we continue to celebrate Easter day after day, year after year. Let's pray. Father God, as we come in Your presence right now, I thank You. I thank You, Father, for the privilege we have of understanding from Your Word what You've done for us we couldn't do for ourselves. I thank You, Father, that You've made us brand new creatures that You've included us in a brand new creation. That by Your grace, we who are dead in sins and trespasses have come alive. We're made alive together with Christ. I thank You for that, Father. I ask You to make that real to us now. I ask Your Spirit to continue to teach us, continue to open our hearts and minds to the truth of who You really made us to be that we might be set free to love each other, to fulfill that new command you've given us. These things we pray in Jesus' name and for your sake. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you want more access to Alpha Ministries teaching, you can like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and visit our website. All times and dates for services and other events are on our website listed in the show notes. 